You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Philippians chapter 2. You can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We are going to be uh, finishing up that chapter today. And uh, as you're turning there, I want you to think about a person in your life who you really have admired. Think about a person you've admired. Get that person in your mind. Uh, I want you to be thinking about a specific person right now. Now, as you have that person in your mind, um, think about what was it about them that you admired? Uh, maybe it was their skill. They were really good at something, maybe an athlete or something like that. Uh, maybe it was their, their character. Or maybe it was their knowledge and their ability to teach you that knowledge, to convey that knowledge to you. Uh, maybe it, it was simply how they loved you and cared and loved for the, pe- the, the people around you. And, and I can... By God's grace, think of so many people in my life over the years who would fit those categories, uh, men and women who have shown me what resilience in leadership and, and, and ministry looks like, men and women who have taught me how to love my family better, uh, men and women who have shown me what it looks like to love the vulnerable and the outcast. And even now, as I, as I think about those people, just flooded with joy that comes to my heart because of the memories of them. And I just got to celebrate my dad's 60th birthday yesterday. And I mean, he's one of those people that I admire and respect. And it was such a a joy to, to hear him talking about how he was looking over the past 60 years of his life and saying, man, this is such a gift of God that I would get 60 years of life. And and uh, the, the legacy that he's leaving for my kids and for me uh, is, is so great. And having examples, having examples, whether it's your parents or a teacher or a mentor or something like that, it, having examples in life is so essential. Now, the thing that probably made a certain person come to your mind is that they were an example of how to live in a certain value or set of values that you share or hold with them. They they had a certain set of goals that was common with you. They weren't perfect people, but they put flesh and bones on what it looked like to pursue that certain goal that you shared with them. And today, we are going to see in the book of Philippians two examples of people who put flesh and bones on the values that Paul is trying to get the Philippian church to embrace through this letter that he's writing. As he challenges them to partner together in the pursuit of knowing and proclaiming Jesus. That's our series vision. That, that we're, we're, that's the reason that Paul wrote the book of Philippians is that they would partner together in the pursuit of knowing and proclaiming Jesus. And as he challenges them in that, he's going to, to set two men forward as examples of what that looks like. And, and as we set our hearts on that same goal, these are examples that we get to follow because they've been preserved in Holy Scripture for us. And so if I was to deliver the point of this sermon to you in one sentence, it would be this. Imitate the virtues of ministry servants who have proven their love for Christ's church. 
Imitate the virtues of ministry servants who have proven their love for Christ church. Just to remind you of the context uh, that we're opening up to, uh, Paul is in the middle of a letter to the church in Philippi, and he's writing this while he's under house arrest in Rome. He's writing them because uh, they had sent a guy named Epaphroditus. Go ahead and say that word. He's going to come up today. Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. I like his name, Uh, and I really like him too. We're going to get to know him a little bit today. But they sent Epaphroditus to deliver a financial gift and to encourage Paul. So Epaphroditus was like this representative of the whole church. But as he ministered to Paul's needs, he, he apparently was sharing some concerns that he had about some stuff that was going on back home. Uh, there was some little tensions that were starting to arise. There were some selfish ambition and conceit that were arising in some of the church members' hearts. People were starting to get inward focused and paying attention only to their own needs. And it was starting to cause some grumbling and disputing in the church. There was some friction. And and the church, at the same time, was also kind of concerned about Paul's mission. How can Paul keep ministering where we've sent him and how we've supported him if he's stuck in jail? And so Paul writes this letter And he sends it back with Epaphroditus to the Philippians. And he wants to encourage them to keep moving forward side by side with each other, side by side with Paul for the advancement of the gospel. Do you think maybe our current cultural climate where we have so many divisions and disagreements, so much me-focus, I think that maybe like a, a good book to study would be one that encourages people to live in unity. So is this like meeting us where we're at a little bit here? And so Paul addressed a lot of these primary concerns already in one of the main sections of the book. He's used his report of his own current situation as an example for some of the perspectives that they need to live in the midst of the differences that they have. And then he's gone on and he's used Jesus as an example of the humble servant mindset that they're going to need if they're going to maintain the unity that he's calling them to. And now he's going to use Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples too. Even as he shares his plans to send each of them back to Philippi. So read with me in Philippians 2 beginning in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I will see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. 
not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the kind of passage where we might be tempted to skip over it or just skim through it because it's just like about a couple guys that existed a couple thousand years ago and uh, we can just move on to the meteor stuff, but uh, we don't do that here at Oak Hill. We preach passage by passage, verse by verse, and uh, this is actually one of my favorite passages on ministry. Paul's giving these customary details in this letter. He's commending the messenger of the letter, telling them about his future plans. But he doesn't waste that opportunity to set forward an example of how they should serve one another in ministry. So we're going to imitate the virtues of ministry servants who prove their love for Christ's church. It's actually one of our goals for the whole fall that we would serve Jesus in regular ministry. And so if you want an example of what that looks like, here we go with with Timothy. Uh, The first virtue that we see in Timothy is this, verse 19, uh, he's relationally invested. Timothy is relationally invested. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. We'll just stop there for a second. I have no one like him. So so Paul is setting the foundation of sending Timothy by pointing out the fact that he's relationally invested. You know him, I know him, we all know him. Timothy's like the, the point in the triangle, right? This is actually the second time in the letter that that Paul talked about Timothy. Uh, He talked about him in chapter 1, verse 1. And and it's possible that based on what he says in chapter 1, verse 1, that Timothy is the one who's actually writing the letter as Paul dictates the letter to him. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, that, that slaves of Christ Jesus, which actually we've said all along is a theme in the book. That, that our perspective as believers is that we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. We belong body and soul to Christ. Our me- lives are meant to serve him and him alone. And Timothy understood that, and the Philippians knew it. You see, the Philippians would have been deeply familiar with Timothy. They would have met Timothy when he was an older teenager, like maybe uh, Natalie's age or maybe somewhere between Natalie's age and Daniel's age, right? And, and so a few months before they met him, Paul had picked Timothy up in Lystra, that's his hometown, on Paul's second missionary journey. He had likely been converted along with his mom and his grandma on Paul's first missionary journey when he came through Lystra, when he was a younger teenager, And by the time of Paul's second missionary journey, he had been discipled by these two godly women to the degree that the elders in the church commissioned him to travel with Paul as a part of his missionary team. It's probable that Timothy's dad was not a believer at all, the way that Paul talks about his family situation throughout the letters. And and, and so Paul became like a father figure to Timothy. 
And that cost Timothy a lot. The first act that Timothy had to do in order to join Paul's team was to get circumcised so that he could be a better witness to the Jews in the areas where they were going. Circumcised. as a guy in his late teens. Like, that's a big sacrifice. And so they left Lystra, and they started encouraging some of the churches that already existed, that Paul had already planted, but they were looking for an opportunity to plant a new church. And so they wanted to go to Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, but the Holy Spirit very clearly stopped them from going there and directed them to Macedonia, specifically to Philippi. The church in Philippi was the first church that Timothy had helped Paul to plant. He worked alongside Paul and Silas and Luke to proclaim Jesus. And then when when people came to faith in Jesus to equip those servants, and as they left, they demonstrated the value that every church must be sending witnesses to make disciples of all nations. Philippi would keep partnering with Paul and with Timothy and with Paul's team in the pursuit of knowing and proclaiming Jesus. And Timothy would continue to stay relationally invested with Paul. The phrase, I have no one like him, is more literally translated, I have no one of equal soul. No one who shares my heart for you more than Timothy. No one on Paul's team, no one else in Rome could Paul trust more. And so Paul would send Timothy to Philippi after Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, we're going to see, was going to go first. Timothy's going to go later because he needs to find out what the verdict is on Paul's life. And and Timothy would get to see how the words of the letter that we're reading had taken root in the church in Philippi, and then he would come back to Paul and report something encouraging Paul expected. See, Timothy was the exact right person to send to Philippi because he was relationally invested both in the Philippian church and in Paul's life. And as we think about following Timothy's example as a ministry servant, we we need to realize that we need to be relationally invested. I mean, I'm sure you understand this uh, just intuitively. Uh, Imagine dealing with some intense internal struggle in your heart and and nobody else knows about it. And so so somebody who you don't know walks up to you and says, why don't you smile more? How likely is it that you're going to tell that person the real reason? But if somebody who knows you and has been consistently there for you asks a similar question, they say, hey, I noticed you aren't smiling much lately. Something going on? You are much, much more likely to open up to them. Or, or maybe somebody is hearing our, our weekly challenge to join a gospel community and to get involved and get relationally connected there, and they, they see that Dwight's gospel community meets on Thursdays. And they're like, you know what? Thursdays is the day that works best for me. Uh, all the other ones meet on Fridays, and so I'm going to go to the one on Thursday. Um, do you, how likely do you think it is that they're going to come if nobody has ever invited them and if they don't know anybody in, their gospel, in that gospel community? Show me how, how likely. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down, right? You think they might be a ton more comfortable if you like introduced yourself? 
and, and, and you know, like, <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> exactly, there you go. Dwight is a great example of that. Dwight and Melissa both are great examples of that. That's why I can pick on them. Uh, so we need to be investing in relationships with others in the church for the sake of the gospel. And Alden says this often. He says the gospel is always relational. Jesus didn't deal with you from a distance. Think about that. Jesus didn't stay in heaven and fix your sin that way. He stepped into our existence by becoming human. He took on our experiences. He took on our limitations. He took on our pain so that we could have relationship with him. That's the grace that you have experienced in Jesus Christ, which means that you get to share him with others. And if you're going to do that, you need to show him through relationship. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but I'm an introvert. Being relational is hard for me. I get it. I'm an introvert too. I have to psych myself up to talk to people a lot of times. Even Jesus had to find time to go off and be by himself and pray. And I get that. But listen, it's not ultimately about me. It's about Christ in me. And Christ is all about relationship with his people. And so start with the people in your gospel community. Develop the kind of depth where you can know and be known by them and help one another hold fast to the gospel. Have them over for a meal. Get to know their story. Learn how they like to have fun and just enjoy time with them. If you're visiting this morning and, and you aren't a part of a gospel community because you, you don't go to this church, find somebody, find another believer and get to know them. Perhaps it's in your ministry area where you can be relational. Like say you're a greeter, and, and say you welcomed a guest to Oak Hill before the service. Instead of just shaking their hand before the service, make it a point that after the service, I'm going to go find that person. I'm going to actually have a conversation and get to know their name, and I'm going to get to know their story a little bit. Talk to them. Maybe you serve in children's ministry, and instead of just punching the bullet points on the children's curriculum. Maybe care about the lives of the kids that are in your care. Pray with them. Care about what they care about. Let them know that you truly love them in Christ and you have their best interest in mind. Timothy was relationally invested with Paul and with Philippi, which led to this next virtue of a ministry servant in his life. He was, he was genuinely concerned genuinely concerned. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Uh, Timothy shared the same heart and the same mindset as Paul. It was really the same mindset as Christ that, that the church is willing, is worthy of giving your life for. The church is worth giving your life for. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, sure, but he was on Paul's team. Like, he's a missionary. He's a superstar Christian. We can't all be that concerned about the church, Pastor Ben. But notice how Paul contrasts him with the other people in the church. 
uh, probably the same people who he talked about in chapter 1 who preached Christ out of selfish ambition. He says they all seek their own interests. They're selfish and self-focused and not really caring about you, the church, which is the interest of Christ. And that language, listen, is not an accident. That language, seek their own interests, should sound familiar to us if we've been tracking with the book of Philippians. Uh, He uses it at the heart of what he calls them to in this letter. It's the exact same language that he called the Philippian church themselves to in verse 17. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, he's setting forward Timothy as an example of what it looks like to be genuinely concerned for the interests of others, which are the interests of Christ. Because Christ gave himself up for his church. Remember, the church does not belong to any one group of leaders. We together belong to Christ. He gave his own blood to rescue us from the punishment of God and to make us a part of his family. And Timothy knew that the work wasn't about him. The work was about Jesus because Jesus had already finished the work of salvation for his people. So Timothy wasn't volunteering to check off a box on his Christian to-do list. Timothy wasn't volunteering to appease some sense of guilt for his sin. If I just do more at church, then I can feel better about this other secret sin that I'm doing over here. Timothy wasn't leading to gain approval of others to feel important in the church. Timothy wasn't working to punch the clock and get a paycheck. Timothy was genuinely concerned for the interests of Christ church. This word genuine has become such an important word in our culture. Many sources cite the idea of being genuine or authentic as the number one value of both the millennial generation and generation Z. The next generations coming up can spot a fake a hundred miles away. They, they can see when church is just going through the motions and, and when the interests of Jesus are not really the things that are driving us. And it's really one of the main reasons why the next generation is cited as leaving the church in masses because they look at their parents' generation and say, I'm not really sure that this matters to you. Which makes Timothy's example of genuine concern all the more urgent for us today. See, we can't manufacture genuine concern. Our our ministry to Christ has to flow out of our love for Christ and our love for the people he places in our lives. And we need to be examples to the next generation of what it looks like to genuinely care for the interests of Christ. He gave himself for his church. We need to be the ones who, who show what it looks like to live out our faith in our Savior. Our Savior took on flesh. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Savior purchased by his blood a people for himself from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
What if we showed the next generation what it looked like to live out of faith in our Lord? Our Lord who conquered the grave and ascended to the highest place. Our Lord upon whom the Father bestowed the highest name that is above every name that every, every lip will have to confess and every knee will have to bow before. we really believe those things and we meditate upon them, they will produce a genuine concern in our hearts for Christ's church. Maybe you don't feel like you've had an example of genuine concern in your own life. I do believe that you could easily look around our church and find examples of that concern, but but if you don't feel like you have that example in your own life, listen, it's got to start somewhere. And I would commend you to look to Timothy and Epaphroditus for that example. And then be an example for others. This portion of God's inspired and preserved word gives us Timothy as an example of ministry who is relationally invested, genuinely concerned, and third, he's reliably proven. He's reliably proven. Verse 22. But you know... Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy isn't the green, inexperienced teenager that he was the first time that they saw him. He's now got 13 years of experience on Paul's team at the time of the writing of this letter. He's got 13 years where he's seen his mentor beaten and run out of town, and imprisoned, and shipwrecked. He's seen and experienced some of the worst that ministry can throw at you, and he's still in it. That word for proven worth, according to Gordon Fee, means to put to the test. His character has been refined, it's been tested, and he's grown even more mature than the last time that they saw him. Like a son beside his father, apprenticing in the family trade, he's proven himself to be an exemplary ministry servant alongside Paul, like father, like son. And if we looked at what his spiritual father modeled for him, he would have seen in Paul this resolve. That this is what it takes. Remember Paul said in chapter 1, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remember he said in verse 17, he said, I'm willing to be poured out as a drink offering. And so as I thought about what that imagery uh, looks like in our lives, being poured out in a consistent way, I thought about the splash pad over at Muddy Run. If you've never been there, it's up on the screen for you, right? Like my kids love this, right, Levi? It's It's a good time. And so they have this big water wheel, and the kids love to just get underneath it. You can see some kids in that picture there, uh, and just get dumped on. And it dumps on you, I don't know how often, maybe every five minutes or so. Like, but it is, whatever the frequency is, it's, it's like clockwork. The bucket wheel fills up with, with a ton of water. So one of those blue sections has to fill up with water. And then all of a sudden it reaches this tipping point and it gets dumped on the kids. And then it needs to get filled up again. 
And so while it's filling up, the kids, they go and play in the smaller fountains, but, but they know as soon as that bucket is filled up, it's going to pour out on them again. And so they rush to get in place, and they wait, and they stand there, and they're like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, Dad, is it coming, is it ready yet? And, the, and then it, it dumps like clockwork. And I think that, that wheel is a great picture of what it looks like to be reliably proven in ministry. You see, ministry servants are those who are consistently abiding with Jesus. They're consistently getting filled with the power and presence of Jesus through prayer and the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And, and, and listen, you, you can't be a true ministry servant if you aren't being filled with Jesus. It's got to start there. It's His power at work within us. It's His character that's proven in us. But just like that wheel, we aren't just getting filled up to keep Jesus in. We're getting filled up to pour out again and again. And again, when it's time for true ministry servants to show up and pour themselves out, they're there. You can count on it. They've been there five, every five minutes before. They're going to be there every five minutes again because they're filled with Jesus. And so let me ask you, are, are you a reliable servant? Can people count on your service to Christ like Paul counted on Timothy. Like, at the very least, at the very baseline level, when you're, when you're scheduled to serve in ministry, do you show up when you say you will? Do you show up on time? Or, or if you can't make it, do you find someone else to, to replace you if, if you just can't be there? Or how about this one? Uh, we use planning center in our church to manage our ministry schedules. Um, reliability, baseline. Click accept or click decline. Like even decline is reliable. I, I appreciate decline. Just because we can know that we're going to get somebody else to serve in that, in that time. Reliability is a character issue. It's part of, it's part of can people trust us? Beyond that, can people count on you because you consistently show up when the going gets tough? Has your character been proven to be the same when you're under pressure and when you're at ease? If you're going through a trial, do you remain faithful? Or do you see that trial as your cue to check out of relationship and check out of ministry? And listen, I'm not saying that there's never time to take a break or even an extended break. Time to be ministered to, to be filled up again. But we get filled up so that we can pour out again. Because we have a never-ending supply in Jesus Christ. Ministry servants are reliably proven. Uh, Timothy was reliable. He was also readily available. Readily available. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that, I, that shortly I myself will come also. As, as part of Paul's team, Timothy was ready to go wherever Paul sent him. And in our highly individualistic culture, I, I think that that kind of language can sound really foreign to us. 
Like Timothy is probably about 29 or 30 uh, around the time that this was written. And today, most 29 or 30-year-olds would say something like this, like, send me? Like, what do you mean, send me? I'm my own person, thank you very much. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'll serve how I want to serve. I want to be built up in the gifts that I think that I have. I want to serve the way that I want to, but not Timothy. Not Timothy. Paul's like, Timothy, I got a job for you in Philippi. As soon as we get to hear the verdict on my trial, Timothy's like, sure thing, Paul. Wherever you want to send me. See, Timothy believed that his life belonged to Jesus and he was readily available to go wherever the Lord called him to go. He trusted the leaders that God put in his life to lead him where God wanted him to go. I remember when I was 22 years old, and I was an intern at New Song Fellowship Church up in Lancaster. Uh, I was finishing my last semester in college, and my pastor called me into his office and said, hey, we want to plant a new church. Do you want to go? And, and because I was available as a, as a senior graduating college and, um, and just about to get married or hoping to get married soon, uh, I was like, sweet, sure, yeah, let's go, let's go. Uh, and he was like, great, we don't know where it's going to be. I'm like, no problem, no problem, we'll just go wherever. Maybe He's like, maybe it's Lidditz, maybe it's Effort. I'm like, yes, I grew up in Lidditz, that's awesome, great. And, and so then they hired Pastor Nate, and Pastor Nate's like, we're going to Quarryville. And I was like, where? You sure? Like, I, I'm not sure I want you to send me there just because I had never been here before, okay? That's all. It's not a knock on Quarryville at all. But Katie and I believe that, that God works through the leaders that he places in our lives. And that this was where God called us and this was where he wanted us to be. And, and 12 and a half years later, we have no intent of going anywhere else unless, of course, the Lord wants to work in that way and clearly call us away, but we love raising our kids here and we love this church. And there's great blessing to us when we become available to God's work of ministry and the Lord's calling. Maybe it's not as extreme as moving to a town that you've never lived in before. Maybe being readily available is not as simple as, as or is, I'm sorry, is as simple as building enough margin into your schedule so that you can serve in weekly ministry. Uh, maybe it's having the willingness to step out of your comfort zone and disciple a younger believer. Maybe it's, it's simply the availability to pick up the phone when somebody in your gospel community calls you because they want to catch up and they have something to share. Maybe it's the availability to serve in a ministry opportunity that isn't your favorite. Still like four slots on the cleaning list, by the way. Maybe you want to ask uh, one of our deacons how you can serve in the ministry that they're leading and how can you come alongside them as an apprentice and help them, uh, help them lead. The ministry opportunities are plentiful if you make yourself available. Imitate ministry servants who are readily available. At this point, Paul has sufficiently expressed his desire to send Timothy. But because he can't do that until later, he, he wants to commend the person who he's sending now. The, the one who's actually carried this letter to them, Epaphroditus. 
And so uh, Timothy was a part of Paul's team. He was a ministry servant who would only ever be there with them temporarily. Epaphroditus was one of their own. He was sent out by them, and now he's coming back to them. And so Paul makes sure that they understand the gift that they have in this guy, Epaphroditus. He's not a second-rate believer to Timothy. He's just a different kind of servant. And so as he commends Epaphroditus, we see two more virtues of a ministry servant. The first is this, uh, sacrificially dedicated. He's, He's sacrificially dedicated. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Now that's quite a description. And I wish that I had uh, time to dig into all five of those phrases that Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus. But if you put them together, uh, you get a picture of someone who is sacrificially dedicated. Ministry cost him something. He left the home that he knew. He left his comfort. He may well have left his job. And he did that because he was asked to carry out a service. If someone were describing your ministry service, just think about this. What five phrases would they use? Like for Epaphroditus, it was brother, fellow worker fellow soldier, your messenger, your minister to my need. Someone were to describe you with their description, paint a picture of someone who is sacrificially dedicated to the cause of advancing the gospel. What, What sacrifices might serving Jesus cost you? What, what sacrifices has it already cost you? See, many of you pour yourselves out. One of the sacrifices that it cost Epaphroditus was his health. So somewhere along the way, uh, he got sick. Look at verse 26. Paul says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. I I, got to tell you, I just love, I love Epaphroditus. Like, my my heart just grew for him this week. This brother that I look forward to meeting in heaven, he, he sounds like the guy who would just be all around encouraging. He was relentlessly encouraging. I believe that we can follow his example as ministry servants, relentlessly encouraging. Sometime during his trip to Rome, Epaphroditus got sick. He picked up some sort of bacteria, some virus. He, he almost died. And it just kind of makes you think, like in our current situation as a culture, if he would have just stayed home, if he wouldn't have gone on this trip, if he would have maintained his distance from people, he probably wouldn't have gone sick. Maybe that's what he should have done. Maybe he shouldn't have gone in the first place. But that's not the way that Epaphroditus thought. His primary concern is that the people back home would be worried about him because they somehow heard that he was ill. 
He's longing for them, and he's distressed that they might spend energy worrying about them, and he just wants to know that their relationship is, is good and that, that, it's, that, that, that they are not overly concerned about him. And he looks forward to seeing them again. And so now they can see from this other side of the sickness, God has preserved his life. God is the one who gives life and who takes it away. And you, you really didn't get up from the deathbed very often back then. Like their medicine wasn't that great. But God healed him out of the abundance of his mercy. It was a mercy to Epaphroditus. It was a mercy to Paul. Because Paul, Paul would have been exceedingly sorrowful and even anxious if Epaphroditus had died. That's how encouraging this guy is. Like the Apostle Paul is held back from exceeding sorrow, rotting in a house arrest, dungy apartment because of Epaphroditus. See, it seems that Epaphroditus embraced Paul's perspective to live as Christ and to die as gain. If he was going to die, he just wanted to make sure Christ's church was well taken care of. He had a, a longing for them. And if he was going to live, he was just going to serve Jesus wherever he could. In this case, by ministering to Paul's needs and encouraging him, and then getting sent back to Philippi and encouraging them. Epaphroditus was relentlessly encouraging. A little obstacle like a near-death illness wasn't going to stop him. If you face sickness, or other things that might make ministry uncomfortable to you? Do you maintain your interests for Christ's church? Do you maintain your concern for his interests? Do you keep encouraging others? Or do you get self-focused and grumpy? I know that I can tend to the latter. But Epaphroditus is an example of, of one who is relentlessly encouraging. The descriptions of these two men are, are great opportunities to hold up the mirror of God's word and see, am I imitating the common virtues of ministry servants who prove their love for Christ's church? But it's possible that we also see their reflections in other people in our own church. We have some wonderful ministry servants here who embody many of these virtues. And so as we finish out in these last two verses, I want us to see three things that we can do when we see a ministry servant, okay? Three things that we can do when we see a ministry servant. And maybe you want to think about doing these three things this week. If you see someone who is serving in an exemplary way in our church, do these three things. First of all, receive them. Receive them. Paul writes in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord. The idea here is that Epaphroditus, as a ministry servant, is a gift. They are to accept him, to cherish him, to welcome him back in and realize what they have in him. This could have included caring for his needs. could have included showing him hospitality out of gratitude for the service to Christ's church. They were to receive him. Secondly, rejoice that you have them. Paul, Paul writes, receive them with, receive him in the Lord with all joy. 
with all joy. Faithful ministry servants are the work of God and the gift of God to his church. And so spend some time thanking God for exemplary ministry servants. Rejoice over them. Like, like actually do it. Like thank God for the person who greeted you when you walked in this morning and who ushered you to your seat. Rejoice because the tech team got here early to make sure that the music was well mixed and the lyrics were on the screen for you to sing. Express joy for the worship team who, who show up week after week to help us sing praise to God. Thank God for the communication staff who put sermon notes together and organize schedules and run our live stream and do countless other little tiny details that keep things running. Rejoice that there are youth ministry workers who love teenagers and invest their lives in them. Express joy that there are people who set up special events and and, and where where we can build relationships with one another and have community and, and reach out to the lost. Thank God for those who count your money and manage our finances as a church. Rejoice that there are nursery workers who are holding babies and praying over them. Express joy that there are children's teachers who teach our kids truth in a safe environment. Thank God that there are women who pour out their lives in aroma and that there are men who come alongside them to serve in Care Connect. Uh, Rejoice that there are people who share their faith with their neighbors. Uh, Express joy that there are people sacrificing their time at places like Solid Rock Youth Ministries and Good News Club. Thank God that you have a gospel community leader and his wife who love you and are keeping tabs on you. Rejoice for the family who opens up their home every other week to host your gospel community. Express joy that the Lord has provided us elders who put in untold hours shepherding God's flock. Rejoice! First to God. First to God, thank you, Lord, for these people. And then tell that person that you're thankful to God for them. Ministry servants are a gift of God meant to be received with joy. When you see an exemplary ministry servant, receive them, rejoice over them, and then finally this, respect them. Respect them. Paul says, honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, that kind of sounds like a slight, like, like it's, it's not. He, he means, you, you had more work that you wanted to partner with me in this. And, and you saw that your job wasn't finished. Financially, relationally, you had more that you wanted to do, and so you sent Epaphroditus. And I just want you to know, he accomplished his mission at a great cost to himself. And so make sure you honor him. Make sure you show him respect. Can I just tell you that the greatest form of honor is imitation. You copy the people you respect. You, you don't respect the guy who you're looking down the trenches. Yeah, yeah, dig a little more. Dig a little more. You respect the one where you get down in there with him. They're to hold Epaphroditus in such honor that they let his concern for the gospel become their own. They stand side by side for the gospel in faithful 
ministry with him and with Timothy and with Paul. And we're to imitate in that way too. Look at these six virtues of a ministry servant again. Relationally invested. Genuinely concerned. Reliably proven. Readily available. Sacrificially dedicated. Relentlessly encouraging. How is God calling you to grow as a ministry servant today? Maybe you're like, I see that he wants me to grow and I can see where, but I don't know how. You're like, I'm not even sure if I am a ministry servant. How do I know if I'm a ministry servant? Listen, every person that he calls to faith in Jesus Christ becomes a servant of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how, the thing that all of these guys shared, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, was this. Jesus had taken over their heart. That's how we grow. Christ had changed their selfish and sinful hearts into hearts that lived for him and lived for his kingdom. They had repented of their self-centeredness and their self-righteousness. And they experienced his grace. Jesus had died for them. How could they not live for him? And so I would urge you, don't try to produce these things through guilt. You're like, Pastor Ben is like, he on a guilt trip of a sermon today, so I would serve in some ministry. No. Look upon the grace of God in your life. Look at the people around you in whom his grace is evident, and then imitate them as they imitate Christ. Make Christ your all, and you never lack what you need to serve him. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.